Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never ever about food, or weight, never ever, not even, one time, not ever, ever, ever. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the It's Not About Food podcast. Really appreciate you tuning in today. We are going to talk about observation. The card has the goddess sort of looking at a piece of paper that she's writing on. And the little deer is looking over her paper, also observing what she's writing. And it's a very sweet card. It feels like, to me, sort of jotting down your own thoughts or your feelings so that you can kind of separate yourself a little bit from them, have a little buffer in between them. And on the back of the card is the description, observation is the ability to observe and question our behaviors. When we can do this with a sense of detachment, curiosity, and no judgment, like a scientist, we can then be safe enough to see our true behaviors. Only by seeing ourselves as clearly and honestly as possible can we start to understand our behaviors. So for me, with the eating disorder world, it's sort of like It was too painful for me to look at what I was doing with food and weight. So I didn't want to look at it. And I couldn't look at it because I would just go into a big shame spiral. And it wasn't until I could separate a little bit and look at it like, well, isn't that interesting when the phone rings and I pick it up and it's my mother, the other hand is going towards the cookie jar. Isn't that interesting? What is it about talking to my mother that makes me want to stuff cookies in my face? There is nothing wrong with cookies at all. It's just I probably wasn't hungry for cookies. I was upset about having to talk to my mother. There's a million of those examples. It's not just my mother. It was everything in the whole world that I ever did. If it caused a feeling for me, I would want to stuff it down. And I could use cookies. I could use relationship. I could use money. I could use drugs and alcohol. I could use working. I could use TV. So it didn't really matter what the substance was or the behavior. So it wasn't until I could step back a little bit with compassion and look at what I was doing that I was able to make change that lasted So that's sort of like the observation that we are wanting to see. And it's much more than just writing down your thoughts and feelings in a journal. It's really looking at what you're doing and how you're trying to take care of yourself. Because really, we all know that everything we're doing, we're just trying to take care of ourselves. It's coming out of fear or pain or suffering or worry and Those are really hard things for us to feel. So today I am so happy to talk to a person that I have really loved sort of chatting with back and forth online. And she has the most wonderful name of Tony Toledo that I just love so much. And she has a great podcast. So I'm 
going to let her talk, and uh, we're going to talk about observation. But first, I'll have her introduce herself, tell us what she's doing, what she's up to, and how she's another soul in the world, just really putting it out there, which is so wonderful. Oh, well, thank you, first of all, for having me on. And I feel really grateful to be a part of this that I feel is so important to get these thoughts and sentiments out so people can listen in their worlds and process this information and start to figure what's going on with them and hopefully give themselves a chance to heal and take care of themselves. And I love these cards so much. I am so excited about what they offer and the potential to help people, the body love cards and the fact that I ended up with observation, I'm super stoked about. So we'll get to that. But I'm glad you like my name. My name's been a tough one for <laughs> my life. It's the best. It's the best. I wondered if my parents had some sort of like joke thing going when they named me that, but I now have embraced it and I think it fits me. So we're okay now, but it was a long, bumpy road there with that name. But just like everybody else, I have a path. I'll get to my podcast in a minute, but my path to you today, I believe, Laura Lee, is a curvy one with lots of ups and downs. I think what brought me to the world of nutrition, which is what my undergrad degree is in, I'm a dietitian, which we can talk about that a little later, but I was drawn to nutrition because I myself was put on a medical diet when I was seven years old for a vascular disorder that I had. And in the early 70s, that was what they knew, that if this, these were the conditions and what this child is experiencing, you tear off a diet sheet that had a list of good and bad foods, and that's what I was handed, what my parents were handed when I was seven. Wow. And yeah, I mean, talk about potential for a train wreck. And what I'm so grateful for is that my parents, being my amazing parents at the time, were like, wait a minute, how do we make this practical and not have it be a punitive type of thing for Tony? So they did. And I think my life could have gone very differently if they had handled that another way. But what it did was it afforded me the opportunity to learn about fitness and nutrition and notice how a body reacts to different things. I think that was the early onset of interest in nutrition. And growing up, I loved helping people. I loved the human body, anatomy, you know, all of those scientific things that are, were part of this field. And I went into undergrad at Cal Poly and really immediately was like, wow, there's so many great things about nutrition. And I loved the process of it, but knew at that time that it's also a fine line. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really super cuspy, right? You can go yeah. this way or that way. I had been living in Spain. And when I moved home, I moved in with a roommate who I adored. And I had no idea that she was anorexic. It was the late 80s, right? We didn't have a whole lot of knowledge around that. And nope. I learned a lot through her and it was a painful relationship because I didn't understand it and I wanted to help her, but she's fine now. She's totally healthy, has been into treatment and she has two beautiful daughters and she got past it with a lot of work, but it inoculated me with the idea of what disordered eating is. And I've always been very sensitive to the extreme sides of the spectrum. 
Right. And then I went to grad school and studied public health. And there's where I was able to help develop a program for high school students that was to help with body image and to promote physical activity and to promote a joy of eating in a healthy way. Oh, how wonderful. But again, also tricky, right? Because, but that's where my love for working with people in the complicated area of the disordered eating spectrum came about because I got to learn more about that. And since then, I've worked in research at Stanford, and then I've been working in health promotion now for uh, 20 years. I work within the context of a medical facility, but we are all about behavior change, healthy behavior change, and embracing the lifestyle of taking care of your body, utilizing healthy foods, moving your body. But there's always that delicate and careful dance you do with learning and skill base, but not becoming obsessed. One of the things that you are reminding me about is that in the 80s, we didn't have these words like anorexia, bulimia. I don't even remember having compulsive overeating being a something. And when Carol and I started Beyond Hunger, we started it in 1988. And I can remember telling her, well, let's just do this for a few years and then people will get that this is nowhere. And because we're not going to have an eating disorder forever. But we never saw the internet coming. We never saw social media. We never saw Snapchat. We never saw how they can take a body and make it into a a pizza. (laughs) We never saw that coming. And so all bets were off immediately. And I have teenage girls that I work with that I teach them how to go into schools and talk about this issue and go in and talk about body hatred and go in and talk about eating and loving the body that you have and loving food. And what's great is when I work with them, they get it and then they get it forever. I've heard from people after they had kids of their own saying, I could have never gone through my pregnancy if I hadn't had the Beyond Hunger peer education peer education group that I was going to with you. and. To me, we just need to get this information out because the youth are happy to hear it and happy to do it. But if all they're hearing is, you know, you better eat clean, which means a diet. You better eat healthy, which means a diet. You better move your body, means a diet. The diet industry has co-opted all of our terms and all of our words. They're very smart. I am so glad that you're out there doing the same thing because we did that. I did that to them. My generation was the one that did that. And the next generation, the next generation, we have to tell them, no, we were wrong. And this is the way to think about this. Oh, agreed. A hundred percent. And it's really funny because there were times during my undergrad and even in my internship, which where everything comes together, you get your intensive training before taking the registered dietitian exam. There Mm -hmm. were times when I really thought I'm not like the others, you know, I really was worried. (laughs) Yes. I was afraid that I had picked the wrong profession because it was so dogma based. It was so prescriptive. And I thought I am up a creek now because there's no niche for me. Because when I think of the term diet and I did not like having the dietitian title, even though I'd earned it because of what it made people think. And I was like, 
when I think of diet, I think of like the root of the word, which is like how you fuel and how you live and how you enjoy life. And it's taken me decades as a dietitian to embrace the way that that manifests in me and how I help my clients. And even how our podcast came along was like, how do we help people live healthy lives and really figure out their formula and they can define what that means for them, but that they thrive and not be imposed upon with these images and expectations. Jenny, my co-host, and I really wanted to reach people and say, hey, listen in, hear some stories, and think about what can allow you to feel your healthiest. And it might look very different than what you think it would be. That's right. And then when you put in the word or the idea of observation, of being able to be empowered everybody is a different person. I am a different eater than this guy sitting next to me, than you, than my husband in the other room, than my dogs. And I tell people, you got to find out how you are as an eater. And they're like, well, just tell me what to eat. It's like, I don't know what you should eat. I know what I want to eat when I'm hungry. But a lot of times I don't know until I'm hungry what it is that I'm going to eat. So we have to get away from that multi-billion dollar idea that somebody else needs to tell us what to do. Well, and there's two sides of that, I think. Part of it is that we don't trust ourselves, first of all. That's part of it. Right. And then the other part is that it takes time. It's a lot of work and you do have to observe. You have to observe constantly how you feel, what works for you, what doesn't work. You have to go to the dark places sometimes and tolerate Yes. There's so many levels of observing. When someone's trying to adopt a healthier lifestyle long-term, I'm like, listen, this is your lab, which if you think about lab and you mentioned earlier observing, that's what scientists do. Right. And they don't get mad when things don't work out. They just go, oh my God, I put that and that together and it didn't work. What if I put this and this together and it does? They're so more open-minded about the scientific discovery. And we have to be like that with us. I have clients that I tell them exactly what you just said. And they'll say, oh, that's just going to take too long. I'm like, well, what else do you have to do? (laughs) 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 You know, really? This is the one body you're going to get. You might as well find out what it wants. Right. What project in your life has more value than the way you can feel the way you navigate the planet, and you know what you're capable of doing when you feel good on a lot of levels. Things open up when you feel good and you feel safe. Yeah. You feel like you don't have to reinvent the wheel every day because you've invested in finding a formula or a code or whatever you want to call it, something that works for you that you can settle into and say, oh, here's my roadmap. Yes. And I was like this, and I work with people who take a lot of different ideas and then smush them all together. So right now it'd be, well, they would be eating keto, but also fresh fruit because it's summer, but then some paleo. And then of course they have to add some kind of other thing that they have points or something. And so it's like this big mess of a diet. And it's like, well, do you like any of that anyway? It's like, no. Yeah. And how manageable is that? It sounds like a, what kind of show? It sounds like an S show, right? It's just 
mess. And how do you do that? And it's funny because we do all want the magic, right? And I always tell my clients, if I had a wand and I could say, make it easy for Sally, I would make it easy for me too, right? I mean, I wouldn't wave that wand over me, but instead I've spent years trying to figure out what works for Tony. And that has been a moving target because as I've gotten older, you have to commit to the full experiment, which is the lifetime of taking care Yes, exactly. And to me, that idea of having that magic bullet or that wand, we all want that. But then even if you got it, I feel that especially women with eating disorders, well, they would just not obey. Because <laughs> you know, we're sick of being told what to do. So we're going to rebel. And uh, I say, well, if you're choosing what you want to eat, what's the rebellion? Because it's just what you're asking yourself for. But we do. We rebel against going to bed at a certain time or taking care of ourselves or putting lotion on or having enough time to just go for a walk. I mean, we do rebel against taking care of ourselves. So that's a whole other thing. But to observe that, is the key. Right. And I always think people call me coach. I mean, I'm a different role and people call me a different name, whatever works for them. But I try to hearken back to the people in my life who have helped me get through tough times, helped me build skills, pushed me to improve my life. And I think of the people who have done that have done that in very objective ways. And they'll appeal to me in a way that They present it like it's empirical. You know, this is what I notice. This is what I see. I mean, all the way back to like my swim coach in high school, you know, I was not a gifted swimmer. So it wasn't him telling me this is what I think or feel. Here's what we see. And that perspective of somebody else. And I was fortunate enough to have parents who gave me a lot of leeway, but also were there as guardrails when I needed them. If you think about channeling someone like that in your life, if you were fortunate to have that kind of person, that I think is a good place to start to figure a way to talk to yourself. Yes. It's a beautiful way to figure out how to talk to yourself. A lot of us that had parents that shouldn't have had a goldfish, much less a child, they, you know, we have really crazy ideas of how to take care of ourselves. So we have to like recover from that and then find the good mother within or the good father within. And I've sat with people that have had horrible, horrible things happen to them, but they everybody knows what a good parent would be. Everybody knows it, whether they had a good model or not. It's innate in ourselves that we know it. So I always tell people, hold on to that because that's the person who really loves you, this deep inside person. And it's so wonderful that you had that deep inside person and you also had it outside. Still, we struggle because it's the human condition. Of course we do. Yes, agreed. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about, and I've told my parents this before, how is it? And nobody's perfect, so I don't want to paint a picture. And of they course. would be upset if, if I said they were. They weren't, but they were amazing for me as parents along the way. And I still showed up with my own garbage hard on myself and and the self-talk. I've been working on self-talk within my head for so long. And the one that stuck with me is now as I'm a mother for the last 18 years, I have tried to talk to myself the way I would want to talk to my kids. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think uh, 
no person is perfect and they cannot be there for us all the time. So it, at sometimes you you have to put your own little baby to bed and I'm the baby. I mean, I just can't expect everybody to put me to bed all the time, you know, so uh, I'm the mom and I'm the baby. So, so I did want to ask you, so if you have a person coming in and talking to you about nutrition and what she needs to do, what I find is that a lot of us do already know what to eat. How can we not? We would probably all be registered dietitians and if we didn't go the path of having an eating disorder instead. But how do you take the emotional and spiritual part of the eating disorder? When I have a client, I send them to a nutritionist who hopefully does not put them on a really strict diet and then ruin the work that they've usually done. But sometimes they need to know how to eat. They really don't. They have a bunch of information in their heads about it. And so they need to know nuts and bolts of like, well, you're this size and this age, and this is how many calories you actually should be getting, which is a whole different thing than we'll just go on paleo and eat all the meat you want all the meat and coconut you want. How do you bring them back to the emotional piece of this and the spiritual piece of, we have this really strong voice within us that's going to kind of lead us in our life and to trust that and to trust the feelings that are telling us, no, you can't do that, or that's not the right way, or the shame spiral that a lot of us go into, especially if we're not following our nutritionist plan. When I had a nutritionist, when I was first trying to get recovery about this, I would eat my whole plan the first day. <laughs> so I did, I would just give me a week plan and I would just eat it on the first day. And then it was like, well, now what do I do? So I didn't work out until I learned how to trust myself to wait for the next day. Yeah. And I will say this, a couple of things, because I don't work in the eating disorder realm, Right. But I know enough now that I can remind myself that I'm not equipped to do everything, right? So for me, the key for treatment would be interdisciplinary type of approach. And then my piece, if I was on a team, would be this piece of the pie, right? So I think that would be key for me because so many ways that the eating is that symptom, right? I think that for me, it's a little bit of a a hot burner to go there because I would not feel skilled enough with the training I have. Mine's more the way I work with people in my health promotion world. Sure, there are probably some underlying disordered patterns in the folks I'm working with, but they're not diagnosis type of things, right? So I would say that that's the first and foremost thing. And I don't want to pretend that I'm the expert in that. I'm not by any means. But What I try to do with my folks that are working in health promotion and trying to eat healthier and get health management set up for themselves, first of all, I work from this other card that we almost talked about today, which is compassion. They kind of go together, don't they? You can't have observation without compassion. I really push hard to build that muscle. We work a lot with our clients to look at behaviors more so than food specific, more like the behavioral component. And and we focus a lot on things like stages of change and a lot of behavioral models that allow you to move forward bit by bit 
you know, including, for example, if someone wants to go with a plant-based diet, well, then we build skills in fruits and vegetables and lean proteins as a complement and just kind of try to fit in conceptually versus super prescriptive dogma-based diets. But I know that lately I've heard more and more, and I'm excited about this, that people are working with, for example, like acceptance and commitment therapy, right? So you're like making room for feelings when you are trying to change behaviors, because I think if we don't do that, if we are not confronting and, and trying to address issues and making room for issues, we're just sort of shellacking over the top. We're not digging down. And that's where someone like you comes in, in my opinion. And I have no problem saying, here's someone who's trained in this to help you dig in deeper under the hood stuff. That's right. And I agree with you. It's sort of like uh, with any of this stuff, there needs to be a team around the person, especially if they've gone way, way far. Their life is at stake. Because I think that this culture makes people that have wouldn't say everybody has an eating disorder, but a lot of us have disordered eating. And I go to other countries, I travel and I watch other people eat. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of countries that have the kind of trauma that we have over food. Like I can never eat fill in the blank of whatever is the thing that we can't eat right now. And so much so that there's that kind of a newish eating disorder called orthorexia, where you're actually afraid of food. Is this water locally sourced? <laughs> I'm not going to drink it if it's not. So that's a little funny that I'm making, but it gets very crazy and people get afraid to eat at all. And that's from smushing all this stuff together that we don't even know what we're talking about. We're just taking a bunch of diets together to lose weight. It's always about lose weight. So if we come at it isn't this interesting that this is your main focus when it really should be, or maybe try to have it be, what feels good for me? What weight feels good? What work feels good? What relationship feels good? What food feels good? Like, let's go with that. Let's go there instead of what you can't have. Yeah, no, I love it. And I'm so grateful right now there's this resurgence or maybe not even resurgence, but this great movement going on with our California Surgeon General, right? Yes. Doing all this great work. And I feel like I'm super hopeful because I feel like she's in front, right? And she's taking us that direction to look at trauma and its impact on quality of life, health, morbidities, comorbidities, mortality, everything. But she's coming at it in such a way that is making me feel like this could upend so much and get people thinking about the depth of trauma, micro traumas, macro traumas, whatever they are, but how it manifests in us and increase appreciation and understanding. And I believe that this is going to support this card again, the observation card, because we're going to have a chance to observe for real. No blinders, no shuttered little doors because we don't want to address what has gotten us here. I agree. And don't we so much need these leaders to come out? We don't even have a leader right now that says wear a mask. So whatever about that, we need these leaders to go, this is good for us to look at these things or to observe and to do these changes for the good of us because we love ourselves. And what a concept that is. 
crazy concept. I don't know what you're you're saying there, Laurelie, but (laughs) it's funny because Jenny, my co-host on the podcast, we talk a lot about this, how critical, in our opinions, connections are, connections to our community, to our, you know, our nation, to our planet, to our families, but the connection to ourselves is where it all starts, right? We have to connect to us. And we talk about this a lot on the pod as far as trying to afford people time and space to think about what they need and what's out there. But again, being able to make room for emotion and make room for even change. Golly, Tony, I feel like we could talk about this for a very long time. Unfortunately, this is a tiny podcast. (laughs) Uh, I hear so many people, this is how busy we've all gotten. Even in the stay at home thing, people go, I like your podcast because they're 20 minutes. (laughs) We'll have to do this again and take on another topic, but so great to hear from you. And I'm so grateful that you're out in the world doing this work because We have to do this real work or what are we doing here? There's just, we're bringing out another soda. I mean, it's just not where it's at. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Observing, trying to observe. (laughs) Well, before you go, would you read the just for today? Today, I will practice observing my thoughts, feelings, and behaviors with a sense of detachment and curiosity. When I find myself doing a behavior I dislike, instead of judging myself, I will say, isn't this interesting? What is my experience now? Beautiful. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and itsnotaboutfood.com. Thanks.